0: Welcome to the Art of Complexity podcast where we explore how people and organizations understand and tackle the most complex challenges they face on a day-to-day basis. Simply put, how they think and act beyond. If you or your organization faces a challenge that seems to just be unsolvable, then you're in the right place. Now, here's your host, Roy Adams. Real quick, before we get into the episode, I had one more thing I wanted to share with you. You know, we're going to be launching a new segment into each episode where we're going to take the questions from you, our listeners, and uh, explore those questions uh, in the episode or separately as a segment in the episode. But only to do that, you can only leave us a message through the Anchor mobile app. So I encourage you to go download Anchor's mobile app on your favorite app store Find the Art of Complexity, uh, subscribe, and then you can leave us a message right in the app. I'll get the message, I'll reply to you, and your message may be featured on an upcoming episode um, as you uh, you know, ask us a, a relevant and engaging question. We'll make that part of our, of our community of listeners here. So if you get a chance after you listen to this episode, go ahead and download the Anchor app and then find the Art of Complexity, subscribe, and then leave us a message. Now, let's go on to the episode. Well, welcome to today's episode of The Art of Complexity. I'm excited to be sitting down with Dr. Deb Sepwich, who I've gotten to know briefly over the last couple of years uh, here in the Midwest where I live. Um, and I think this episode is going to be unique because um, Deb's experience in both um, business, entrepreneurship, and now in in the world of teaching future business and community leaders in in a business school here uh, locally, will bring some unique uh, aspects to the art of complexity. And so, um, you know, as, as I talked about in the intro, Deb's experience is very deep and, and wide. And so, um, Deb, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. I appreciate you taking the time to just sit down with us um, here at Doan University and just uh, getting a chance to, to talk to you about uh, what I like to call the art of complexity.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me today.
0: You bet. Um just by way of kind of introducing our listeners to you, maybe give us a little bit of background on yourself. How um how you've gotten to where you are in your in your current professional career. Um and that may, you know, take a little bit of time and that's fine. I think it's important for people to know there's a lot of journeys that people take and and we we gain a lot of um a lot from those journeys in our own personal enrichment as well as the people around us so I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better by by knowing your journey if you will
1: sure well I'm a Pacific Northwest girl I was born in uh, Oregon a town called Aloha Oregon as a matter of fact and so when people see here Aloha Oregon they think Aloha it's not Hawaii Aloha was uh is a tribe um that was um there in the settled in the Pacific Northwest um and so I, um, I grew up there. Um, I am the daughter of an engineer, inventor. Yeah. Um, he grew up on a farm out in Forest Grove, Oregon. And he was the son who didn't become the farmer. Mm. And so that was kind of an interesting thing for him because his father um, had a walnut filbert farm and really expected that oldest son to go into farming. And so when he didn't, that was kind of a thing that didn't make the, or the mother real happy. Uh, he was an engineer, just really interested in technology, um, ham radio operator, you know, um, went, went in from Forest Grove into the big town of Portland and went to school at the University of Portland. And, and I'm bringing up my father and an entrepreneur, because he's a very entrepreneurial-minded person. Mm-hmm. Throughout his life, he was designing things all the time, um, electric boards, you know, that did things that just people could not imagine, you know, that, you know, how did he make that happen? And, and so... As a small child, I was watching him just, you know, do these design things that were unbelievable. So, so I grew up with a father that was an inventor who spent a lot of time in the music industry. So he started a company called Neptune Electronics. Oh, wow. Um, and back in the 70s, imagine Neptune Electronics, the tagline was for sound that's far out, you know. So, <laughs> so I grew up um, with, you know, a, a, a dad who was, you know, working with, you know, people who were doing bands, both sound, you know, uh, in recording studios, but also out, you know, um, doing live concerts and and the 16-channel mixers, you know, mm-hmm. 32-channel mixers. He was just, you know, doing some of these really cool things and um, some, some things that were just, you know, unique for that, that time. So, um, what I noticed, though, is he was in a, he had a really, one really great partner who was helping him do this, but he, he, um like I said, this a genius designer, but didn't understand business. Mm. So was selling all around the country, up into Canada, all around the United States, building these amazing things, but was vulnerable mm. because he didn't understand the complexities of business. Mm. So even though you know the business was doing well, he had to rely on people who knew more than he did about finance, about supply chain, about lines of credit and just as the business was doing very very well he lost it because he relied on somebody who uh, came in and gave him some money and um, he signed over some things that meant that um, essentially he signed over the business oh, wow. and and it was sad because he signed over all his patents he signed over everything that he had and so I saw this man who I just looked up to, who was, like I said, was re- is really a genius, had all these patents and did amazing things, sign over everything that he had because he didn't understand the complexities of the business world. and 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 seeing that, it, it you know, if somebody could have looked at that and said, I never want to do that. Mm. I, I never want to be that. But business is awful. But I looked at that and thought, I, I want to do well by him. I want to learn from his mistakes. And and actually I don't think it's a mistake as much cuz he he learned a lot from it and went on to do other things. I mean he's like went and worked for a company and did metal detector designs and and he never ever took anything and you know thought it was you know got him got down around it, about it. He'd always just kind of moved on from that. But but I wanted to to learn and be you know learn from some some of, some of that stuff. And so um
0: so did you always want to go into entrepreneurship and business? As, I, from, from that experience in, in your in your childhood? I, I
1: don't know that I always knew that I wanted to, but I kind of always had that feeling that I could. Hmm. you know, because I never saw it. He never looked at it as it was a failure. You know, we just always looked at it as a thing that he did and felt empowered to, yeah, we could try that too. because here's the thing that that happened in our house. While all that was going on, We may have not had a lot of food on our table. We may have not had a lot of things in our house. But the one thing we always knew is that my mom and dad loved us. Hmm. My mom and dad provided things for us. We never had to worry about the basic things in our home. And so I always knew that we'd always be okay. And so that was the one thing I knew. No matter what I tried, no matter what we did, and I think all my brothers and sisters know that, is that no matter what, we were always going to be okay. And a lot of that had to do with our faith. I mean, we yeah. were very well-rooted in our faith. Mm-hmm. And they always knew. We always knew we were going to be okay. And we always were. Yeah. So
0: Sounds I, like he made it okay to fail
1: it was okay to fail and and even because even in failure there was some form of success we learned something mm-hmm. and so I was never afraid I was never afraid of that and so that you know so when it came time um, I went down to University of Oregon took a couple years and one of the things to go to school there and one of the things I realized is I didn't want to go into debt so after the two years when I was down there, I decided to come back, go to school at Tektronix. I go, excuse me, go, go to school. I went to work at Tektronix uh-huh. after two years and that's actually where I kind of said go to school. That was maybe a Freudian slip <laughs> because I actually went to school mm-hmm. and learned a lot there and, and they paid for some of my school. Um, after, after two years, I kind of started learning some things there. I taught myself some programming, um, took some programming classes. Um, and there I met some people um, who I really knew could, I could learn a lot from, and they became the people that eventually I went into business with. One oh. of them, um, Tim, was one of the people that I eventually went into business with, learned a lot from him um, about inventory, supply chain, and um, I eventually took a, took a paper system for, for um, inventory management and converted it to a mainframe system, took it from mainframe to, to standalone to PC, then onto a local area network. I mean, I went through the whole gamut of, you know, how you, your listeners are going to know how old I am if I <laughs> do that. But eventually it went on to, um, you know, all the way through the preventive maintenance system and inventory control. So it was an inventory management Mm preventive maintenance system. Eventually worked myself out of a job because, you know, I could hand that off to somebody who did, they didn't need me doing it. The company that the software that we eventually bought hired me to go do customer service. That's where I met the next person that we brought into the picture. And so, so just in this journey of, of meeting people, you kind of find your team and, and, at that company, it was called Decision Dynamics, they no longer exist, but Decision Dynamics, that's where the whole team came together and as we were going out and doing these installations for for preventive maintenance, they saw what we could do to take a complex situation Mm -hmm. of PM, inventory control management, and there was this other issue they were dealing with that came up. it was a um, law that just was passed where they had to manage material safety data sheets and chemical compliance, mm. and they said, you know, we see that you're managing this over here, but we got this really complex <laughs> issue over there. Do you think you could help us with that? And this is back in you know, the late 80s and early 90s, and people kept saying, no, we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that. Well. Mark, who's the person I met at Decision Dynamics, and Tim, then at that, who worked at Tektronix, was now over at Decision Dynamics. Sat down one day. We were just sitting down at lunch. And we thought, Do you think we could? We think we could do something with this. Hmm. Maybe we could figure this out. And so we came up with a plan on how to do it. Hmm. We went to the person that we, you know, the, the the president of Decision Dynamics, and he went, Yeah, it sounds like a. Thing, but no, we're not gonna do that here. So we went and got some funding, and we said, well, we think we wanna do this. We already asked him, he said no, so we rolled out a company and decided we were gonna do it.
0: Wow, so you went from seeing a need and mm-hmm, a gap
1: and mm-hmm, then
0: mm-hmm. a true entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm, finding, mm-hmm. oh, we actually might have a solution here. Um, and it was
1: it, it was more that it was the team being able, we think we could do this, Mm-hmm. You know, here's the problem. Here's what we can do. We think we can do this. Let's 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 do it. Yeah. So. Well,
0: let me let me maybe park here a little bit and talk about the mindset. Okay. The mindset that you had with your co founding team, mm-hmm. and, and really understanding how you began to think about the problems you were facing, how you began to uh, to try to frame out. Um, the, you, you saw the gap, you saw you had a potential mm-hmm. solution, but there's more to it than that, I'm mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk to me a little bit about how how the mindset that you had to have to, to be able to take that, not just initiative, but, I mean, if, if anybody that's gone into business for themselves knows, it's it's a high-risk
1: yeah.
0: endeavor, and, and you have to have a certain, a certain mindset to want to do that.
1: So first of all, we had to, the first mindset you had to have is you had to, you have to believe, okay? You have to believe in a solution. So, and you have to believe in a team. And th- those I think are the first two things that you have. And when you have belief, and when you have um, focus and clarity, you, you can move forward. Now that doesn't mean that you necessarily have a solution. Clarity, clarity of purpose is one thing, Belief in your team is one thing, but you don't necessarily have a solution yet. So, But if you have those two things, then you can move forward. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you a story about having belief and having clarity. We had clarity that they're needed about what the problem was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had belief in our team because we had already had success. We right. had great success at this other company, and we also believe we're making the president a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So. We also believed that we wanted to work together and make money for our family. So so that was another thing that we thought, we'd like to kind of make money for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and it wasn't, one of the, the mindset is we didn't really think a lot about getting really, really rich. That wasn't the thing. We really wanted to to have an adventure. So there was another idea of a mindset of adventure mm-hmm. and a, a mindset um, of, looking at success um, and delivering delivering value. And that's another thing of being able to deliver something of value
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to a marketplace that really, you know, something that was needed. So I think those are things that when you, when we have that mindset and, and the ability, we believed in this team so wholeheartedly And there's some funny stories along the way. Um, but we knew that whenever there was something that would come up because again we'd seen it happen so many times that somebody if there would be any other team and I've done this I've been on teams before where you would come up against something and they're the team that I was on and they, and we would just they would just implode mm. because you just didn't believe in each other yeah. and you've seen that on sports teams you know uh-huh. you know when you're watching a the team they're not going to be able to do it mm-hmm. right they're on the 50-yard line, there's two minutes left, they're not gonna be able to do it. And then you see a team but there's, you know, that there's only 15 seconds and you have a belief that because of the members on the field, they got a chance, they're gonna make this happen. Yeah. And that's how we felt about ourselves. So the mindset, we know if something's gonna happen, we can make it happen, we can make something, we can mm-hmm. make this, we're, we're winners, we can make it happen.
0: So how did the uh, how did that experience then begin to mature into an operating company okay. from an idea to mm-hmm. to like oh, we have a real business here and <laughs> what are the complexities that you even had to navigate with that
1: we had to get customers
0: mm-hmm.
1: so one and that was one of the big things and I give this to Mark Mark was the gentleman who we put in place to be the CEO because he is a an consummate leader and one of the best CEOs. And as my life has kind of progressed after I've been 15 years out of that, and I I see even from this side of the mountain how great that team was. Mark is, is an amazing CEO, and we we tease about who he could sell anything to anybody, but because he because he, he can tell a story not but he could but he tells the truth,
2: hmm.
1: and. And he listens, and he has a vision, and he can set vision. And, and he knows how to get a customer engaged, and he knows how to deliver, and he knows how to get the team together to deliver. And we, he knew that within six months, we had to be generally profitable on a month-to-month basis in order to make this go. And people are like, how are you going to do that? There's no way. Companies don't do that. But he had this idea that, We are going to be doing this, and if we do it, we'll be successful. Mm -hmm. And it was a software company. So we thought we had a software company. Within the first six weeks of going out and doing guerrilla sales, and we were going to um, forest product companies up and down the Pacific coast, and we had these screenshots, and we were showing them what we were going to do, and they were saying, oh, yeah, that's great. We love it. We love it. So we were ready, and we're going to close the sale, and we'd say, okay, are you ready? And they're like, no, we're not going to buy it, though. But wait, you just said you, were going to, you love this, you love this, you love this. Why aren't you going to buy it? And they realized, well, yeah, we love everything you got, but that's not our problem. So we've left the company that we're in. We've started this company. We've got these, they're saying they love what we're doing, but yet we've got this missing link. We're six weeks into, and we realize we are not a software company. What are we? Mm. We're at this stage where we have to do a pivot within six, so we sit back down and Mark and I and Tim are at this drawing board and we're realizing We're a service company. We're not a software company. We have to figure out how to get the data into the system and when we realize that the software is only a vehicle for what our true business is, it was our huge aha moment and you know when it the .dot com we're right in that .dot com. Yeah, place. that's what saved. That's what kept us going. Oh wow! And every other company was dropping off the face of the earth, and our value stayed. We, it was like that moment where we just go, "Wow, we were protected. We were mm-hmm. covered," because that changed us from being a software company to a service bureau and we stayed solid we were one of the fastest growing software companies in the pacific northwest for like four years straight and it was amazing but it's mark it was it was having that strong sense of we need customers and we need a sustaining revenue model and and that was it
0: yeah so i i mean if if you're out here listening i think one of the key things i'm taking away from that story is when you're facing that complex situation where all of a sudden, the pathway you were moving down is not the pathway. It's gone. It's just washed it was out gone. from under you. You have to be able to be willing to reframe. Oh, You've got to be willing to ask yourself that question of of why. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you did that. I'm sure you're asking, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What does our customers say they need? And And as you said, pivoting uh, to the opportunity that's there. So that's, that's a fantastic illustration of, of just, of just being, being agile enough in your thinking and navigating the complex situation. And in the midst of it, you don't think about it, I know. Yeah. But in, in, you know, on this side of it, as you said, you have those skill sets in your head and, but you know, if you're out there listening right now, that's just, I think this is just a great story to think about is, in the midst of failure, it's it's all about reframing the perspective mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be able to to go forward. Um, what did this company end up uh, growing into? I mean, what were some of the what were some of the uh, as you begin to get customers and you begin to mature? And you said fastest growing, so mm-hmm. fast growing obviously all of a sudden is going to introduce many complex situations oh, yeah. and many complex things. So what are some of the and I, I want to ask about that, but then I want to also ask you what happened. When you hit your first major failure,
1: oh well, that we thought you know that pivot we thought was a failure. We're like we didn't listen well, Mm. we didn't frame this well, right? And and we hit where lots of that we didn't that we didn't frame this well. This is awful. And then we pivoted and realized, okay, we're reframing. Um, Let let me ask. Let me talk about where our first other failure was. Okay, so. So it's a service bureau, and what that means is you need to have customers, and they need to be sending you. Because what we did is we converted the material safety data sheets into um, ASCII text files, okay, mm-hmm. and then we indexed. So we were indexing the sheets, and so so people could pull them up by their names, by chemicals, 111 trichloroethane, or or Clorox bleach, or whatever, whatever they were using. And there's companies that use. You know, fifteen thousand chemicals. There's some that only use three hundred, but they still need to be able to tell you what you're what you're coming in contact with or what they're using. So, so they are sending those to you on an ongoing monthly basis to convert. And so we have fifty people working for us doing data conversion.
2: Oh wow!
1: And they're, you know, they're they're there. They're feeding their families. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're responsible for them. And um, Let's say that you don't have the sheets coming in. You know, we used to call them sheet counts. Yeah. We don't have sheets coming in for them to convert. And what do we do? What do we do when we don't have the inflow, mm. right? The product coming in to. Well, um, we had, you know, we have to think about layoffs. Um, and there was, when the downturn happened, mm-hmm. you know, um, now they, there is some they they do still have to send them in and we still do have to convert them and but we didn't have new customers coming in so we had those you know we had the insurance policy but we didn't have new customers right and um, so here we're thinking okay we're going to have to lay people off so we went to the table we said oh right we we have 50 families and that's how we kept looking at it 50 families and um, so Mark, that was one of the tough, those are tough min- moments. Mm-hmm. And then Mark and I just went back and we said, let's go, to the, let's go to them. Let's go back to these people and say, how do we solve this?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we thought we could go back and say, okay, we're gonna lay off the people that weren't here the longest. We're gonna lay off the people who, you know, how do we do it? You know, yeah. How do you do it the best way? What ended up happening is we brought in pe- the group and we said, "What if we go to nine day, to, You know, to, to a um, we, I think we went to nine days out of ten, hmm. and everybody just took off. You know, we did one. I think it was a ten percent work uh-huh. reduction. Uh-huh. And then if we needed to, we'd go to. So everybody took a cut in pay. Wow, across the board." Of course, everybody took it, even the leaders took Mm -hmm. it. We kept working, of course, but everybody across the board just took a 10% cut and pay.
0: So that tells me a lot about the culture, Mm -hmm. the culture of the organization and Mm -hmm. the culture you built.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, We kept our, so what we could do in that is we kept our health benefits, took a 10% cut and pay, so we still continue to pay the health benefits, took a 10% cut and pay. And it was so funny because what ended up happening is when we were ready, okay, the, sheet, every, the sheets kept com, coming back in. Salespeople were, we, we you know, we they, they took their base pay down, but they we kept paying them whatever their, um, you know, whatever they got for their um, their sales commission because we wanted them to sell. Right. Um, but they um, when the sales started coming back in, we said, okay, we want to bring people back. There were people that were like, but wait, we like having the four day. <laughs> We we like (laughs) having that extra (laughs) Friday or Monday off, and we did it so that we had extra days off. So what that ended up doing is realizing we went to four-day work weeks. We went to 410s to give people the Mondays and Fridays off. So we ended up just kind of changing some things up a little bit. That's interesting. It was kind of fun. We did did some changes in policies a little bit for some people, but it it ended up making some some changes in the way we did things. But yeah, it was one of those times that we just went... we. And that has a lot to do with the culture that Mark and, and, you know, Tim and I too, that, Mm -hmm. that we worked to set, but a lot with the CEO and what his beliefs were in starting the company. And those, the three of us are, you know, all founders. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll take credit where it's due, but it, (laughs) but it's, you know.
0: Now, um, how long were you in that role
1: then? I was there for uh, 14 years. Wow. So you,
0: that's, that's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. to grow a company Mm -hmm. and, it sustained itself for that long. And I assume, I think it's still in existence, but by it a is. different it's, it's Yeah,
1: it's, it's gone through, um, we sold it, in, in near five, we sold um, a tranche, to, um, uh, one tra- uh, 30% of the company to the Daily Mail and General Trust out of the UK. Hmm. They came in and took another tranche another two years later. And then the company was eventually sold to IHS out of Denver, Colorado. And then it's been spun off, and I, and I do, I'm, I'm I did have the name of the company that's purchased it, but IHS then sold it again. Okay. So, um, and but it's been sold now a, a third time. It's going strong. The company, um, the things that we've done that the company was able to do is now that we've got those indexes, right? We've indexed the document. and We found out that they wanted to index the document even more and more and more to to do the ability to do Sarah reporting, which is a type of reporting that you have. These will mean nothing to anybody, <laughs> but it's all this chemical reporting that has to be done and. So it was just started, you know, compounding what you can do with that material safety data sheet. So it just ended up being environmental reporting, um, just just a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So it just expanded um, exponentially what we were able to do, and the company just grew from there.
0: So um, maybe talk a little bit then about um, the leadership team mm-hmm. and the philosophy you mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. in creating the culture amongst yeah. all this complexity that's going on. And I just recently had a conversation with somebody and and one of the key things that came out of that conversation is just a reminder that in the midst of chaos or in the midst mm-hmm. of complexity, the the philosophy of leadership that you have matters. Mm-hmm. that if mm-hmm. if you don't if you're not well grounded in a foundation of how you believe an organization and people should lead, then getting out of something that's complex or chaotic yeah. or unknown, becomes very difficult. So, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you as a leadership team really thought about the philosophy of leadership that you wanted to have and wanted to to build the company around. Because Mm -hmm. I think people think about complexity and it's it's more science to them than it is art. And in my opinion, there's a lot of art and it all comes down to how you lead.
1: Well, the the company was built on, um, we really built it on biblical principles. Mm -hmm. And And that was it. Started with this um, really one solid principle, and that way we were all created beings, and as such, we should be treated as creatives and created beings. Mm. And while um, when when the company was sold to the Daily Mail and General Trust, um, we know, we took we we, and we had um, got in our mission statement in the beginning. And and at that stage, you know, God was taken out of the mission statement because it was bought by a different entity, and sure. kind of, and you couldn't really do do that at that stage. But really, from my perspective, and I think from Mark's as well, you couldn't take God out of our mission mm-hmm. because it was part of who we were, were as individuals. But it was built on um, on those principles. But really, with the sense that we were all created to do something, and mm-hmm. we're all created to, and so because of that, we we should all be be treated with honor and respect and be given the opportunity to to be who we were created to be and so um, Individuals were really treated with that honor and respect and one of the things that we did when we started the company is and this This is kind of unheard of but when we started the company We paid a hundred percent health benefits for all of and we set it up for all of our employees and their families Oh wow that is, it,
0: that is pretty unheard
2: of. And Even. so
1: we did that with the sense that because, but we also, and we didn't pay, we paid in the lower end because starting out we, but we felt like we really wanted to care in this other way for our employees. And they knew that coming in. And a lot of the people that were doing the work for us um, in this text conversion, we knew were single moms or, or you know, families that didn't, but, and we felt that if we could provide health care and provide health benefits for them, that there was a sense of being, not being like, that, that we wanted to make sure that they were cared for in this manner, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we would give raises, and we, we, and we ended up being able to pay eventually where we wanted to be, but we, we thought at least we could kind of do a little bit more and care in that way. Um, So there were those kind of things that we did in the very very beginning and set our cost profiles and what we were doing in in setting the cost for our our products in a way that we would cover that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I remember there was another mistake that we made one time and it had to do with somebody that we hired that was doing our books and then we ended up hiring a really great person but we were out on the road and we got a phone call that said, we're not going to make payroll one
2: time.
0: That's the call you never want to get, Yeah, right? we
1: got that pa- we call, and, and Mark and I were like, well, wait, just a week ago, we were going to make payroll, and so, you know, that's the time that Mark and I, you know, you know, I called Gordon, and Mark's calling his wife, Kelly, and was like, alright, this is the time we are going to have to take the money that we have on the second mortgage pay, and pay payroll. We ended up finding the money and making it all work, but those are the kind of things that you also have to be ready to do, yeah. but that was the other mistake, that sometimes you trust people that you have in positions, and mm-hmm. And I have down here that it's this term that I learned from a captain in the um, in the Navy that you have to FUB, F-U-B-B. And I went, FUB? He told me that. He says you have to follow up beyond belief. <laughs> and anyway, so so the sometimes... We,
0: we, in the Army, we called it check double check triple check yeah <laughs> so
1: so you, that was one thing i learned to do is that even the people that you trust when you bring somebody in they're not in your circle of trust until you've been able to yeah. bring them in there and that's that sometimes you trusted i trusted i trusted people too early and i had to learn that they earn your trust and that's where mark and tim working with them before i knew how to trust them and and i trust them but i tended to trust too too easily until something like that happened, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> you have to earn it.
0: Well, um, you ended up, as you said, you yeah. s- this company was sold, um, mm-hmm. and your your path took a different turn.
1: Yeah. So, so after t- the
0: tell us a little bit about that
1: after the second tranche of the sale, and I kind of knew that we were in that stage, and and you could kind of tell you're losing after the second tranche of a sale of a company and. You kind of feel like you're losing a little bit of it. I didn't want to be heartbroken and see what we had created lose some of what it had. Um, it was being sold to IHS. IHS is a great company, um, but I but I was ready to transition. I was ready to transition out of um, being and also know knowing what my my strengths are. I mean, I'm good up to about a $20 million company. I think once you get over that or going into a large company, I mean, I left a large company when I left left Tektronix. I didn't want to go into another one with IHS. And who knows that they wanted me? I don't even know if they would have wanted me. So, um, so, I took that chance to go back and get my, and go work at George Fox University, which is where I got my, my master's degree, mm-hmm. my MBA. And they had me in teaching. I started an, entrep- an, an MBA program there, an uh, uh, executive MBA program. They had me come in and start that, which was great fun. Um, worked as a, in designing an entrepreneurial undergraduate program, mm-hmm. which I really felt like that was a great transition point for me because I could help teach. Um, and some people say you can't teach entrepreneurship. I think you can find entrepreneurs, though. Mm. You can find the spirit in people. Mm-hmm. You can help nurture the spirit in people. You can help. You can help teach courses, and that kind of line people up to where um, this this is the kind of thing you need to know in order to go into that area. Um, and we had fun, just you know, starting you know little. And it's not really starting businesses. It's more. I didn't like the idea of starting a little business like we're gonna go start a candy shop. I like the idea of let's think big. Let's just blow the walls off of wow. something. Let's 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 think. Disrupt, beyond. right? <laughs> oh, let's just disrupt everything, you know? <laughs> so we would like design these opportunities and these ideas. And what I love is that even today I'm in, in contact with students that are right now are out there doing things. I've got about four students who are CEOs of companies that they're starting. That they've started. Um, I've got some in the MBA. That four undergrad students, about three or four in the MBA, that have started their own companies, and to this day, they, you know, they taught We talk, and yeah, you know, it's, it's great. So, so I feel like I've done. I've had some impact in that area, and it's some of it's just encouraging them. Like you know, if I can do it, you can do it type mm-hmm. thing. Um, I've taught at University of Portland there. Um, so helping start programs with some entrepreneurship classes, um, teaching entrepreneurial, um, it was entrepreneurial accounting, just things like that, which I'm not an accountant, but teaching mm-hmm. entrepreneurial thinking and finance, things like that. I moved to, uni- I got he- how I got here into the, um, into the Omaha area was via University of Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. I took the dean of the School of Business job mm-hmm. up there for a couple years. Um, and they have an entrepreneurial leadership. It's the dean of the School of Business and Entrepreneurial Leadership. Um, was up there for a while um, and then transitioned down here. My, um, I went to Creighton, so I got my doctorate at Creighton University. Okay. And um, and then my kids are here, so it kind of was a nice yeah. draw to come down here and then ended up here as a director of MBA programs, of graduate business programs, MBA and MAM, mm-hmm. of the Masters of Arts and Management here at
0: at, um... So in um, moving from business to, to academia, mm-hmm. um, um, you bring this unique perspective of being a practitioner first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it you really try to impart from your both experience now mm-hmm. of <clears throat> from business, but then experience of of being in leadership, even in the academic world, but even in the classroom, mm-hmm. too? What is it that you try to impart to, to today's young leaders about the world that they're entering into, the world that they're they're entering into, because I think we would both agree the the world's definitely more complex than when we came out of
1: oh absolutely out of um, <laughs>
0: undergraduate and potentially graduate school. Even my graduate school being a little bit later than yours, but what is it you like try to what is it you try to impart to them today that helps them be ready for that?
1: They have to, they have to be ready to change and be flexible and they have to be able to not be afraid to, well, the failure, of course, is the is the big thing is to, what I see people, don't, don't wait. I mean, that's the big thing that I think, well, I'm gonna kind of wait and watch and just see what happens. Like, don't wait, just go now. I mean, I, I that's the thing I think I get most anxious <laughs> about is, is you know, I'm going to wait for four years and see what happens. I'm going to wait for two, or I need this. I need to have this before I do that. And that was the one thing I, I kind of watch people all the time, and I think you're going to learn more by getting in there and doing something mm-hmm. yeah. than you're going to learn by sitting outside of it and watching. Like just get in there and do something with it. Just step inside of it. The whole idea of of the story that I uh, told earlier of our situation of going out and talking to those people up and down the Pacific coast while we were doing guerrilla marketing and saying, "Hey, how do you like these screens that we're doing and why don't you buy it?" And they're saying, "No, we're not going to buy it." Well, why not? Because it doesn't you because how does this get in there? Well, if we wouldn't have already been in it, right. We wouldn't have gotten that information, and we would have we would, and so we would have already been out there trying to build all these things, spending all this money and we would have been a whole 18 months down the road with something that wasn't going to do anything. Mm. So you have to get get in it. Just be afraid to get dirty. Get afraid. Be afraid to get wet. Be afraid to get out in the rain. You know, don't be afraid to do that. You know, mm. if you're afraid to do that, you're gonna you're gonna be so you're gonna be behind. Mm-hmm. And I was I have a person right now who is getting invites to the, go to the World Economic Forum and do presentations, and it was because. He wasn't he wasn't afraid he wasn't afraid to make mistakes he wasn't afraid to what are they going to think you know and and yet he wasn't stupid I mean don't don't get me wrong he didn't right. go out he he did just enough to be on the edge and to know the right people and then he stepped in and it's it's like I think you said we're gonna lean into this right he stepped into it with confidence and that's another thing that I see a lot of a lot of people of today they they don't have the confidence that they need to just, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Be confident. You know, I have a, a coach used to tell me, Deb, you know you know what you know.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: when you get to the point that you know you know what you know, stop doubting yourself. You know you know what you know. Yeah. And and it's that, when you know you know what you know, it's time to go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's time to step in. And And you're going to, when, once you once you're in there, you're going to learn more, and you're going to learn more, and you're going to learn more, and you you always get better by just getting in there. Yeah. And so that's that's what I would say. Let's just try, and and I think we just need to get more people in there here, the entrepreneurial community in Omaha. Um, I haven't got into it yet enough. I've been more on the outskirts. I've only been here, you know, really about a year and a half. Right. And and I want to get into it more, but I want and I seen what's happening in Lincoln there's some really fun things happening on Lincoln and Fremont there's some really fun things happening in Fremont but I really just want people I just want to grab them and say let's just go let's Mm. just kind of try some things let's um and and
0: yeah so what what talk about the entrepreneurial community Mm -hmm. and the importance of of the informal network but really what what should people look for in in an entrepreneurial community that maybe they're out there going I want to get connected to somebody or something but what should I be looking for
1: okay so you know we've always talked about you know mentors and coaches and all that and that's that's good you got mentors and coaches but more than anything you need to find somebody who can sponsor you you need somebody who is your more than your mentor and more than your coach you need somebody who believes in what you're doing and who can be the person because a sponsor is more invested in you than a mentor or a coach. They're the ones who are going to come in and say, you know, hey, this person uh, is who you need to talk to for this reason, this reason. they believe in you at, enough that they would actually almost be an investor in you, but they probably don't have, but you know, the investment. So they're, right. they're 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 that connector. They're your they're your pathway into to getting you to the right people you need that person and and especially here i've noticed in omaha you really need that per you need that person um
0: i've noticed that too i mean i'm not from the area originally and so you do need you do need somebody that can be your champion yeah yeah in the community
1: yeah and and i and it's a little i'm still trying to navigate and figure those things out i'm and i'm i'm not starting a business here um but I'm trying to help people figure that out. When I would I do some coaching, and I've done some coaching, of course, in Oregon. I know, mm-hmm. you know, the people there. I know the people in um, Washington. I, I can help make those connections there. But I'm just still trying to figure out who really they are here, and and it's a different network. And every every city you go to, it's a kind of different. I knew I knew in Sioux Falls. I got there and kind of could learn Sioux Falls. It's a smaller smaller city. Could kind of learn it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, Omaha's still kind of I'm still trying to kind of navigate and figure it out. It's a little tougher. Yeah.
0: Um, so the students you have now that you work with, in, and mm-hmm. I think I think for our listeners, they should know that you've taken a, you've kind of taken many different places mm-hmm. you've been, and you've you've taken an idea and built it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about that idea here. Yeah. And what you're doing now.
1: Yeah.
0: And what your vision is for for this particular program mm-hmm. um, but you know i you know for our listeners who are, aren't from the area around omaha Doan is a is a unique i think unique uh, private university mm-hmm. in the area but aside from that i would really want to know what what it is about what you're trying to do now that excites you
2: mm-hmm. number
0: 1 mm-hmm. and number two w- what has been complex about it that you've had to navigate that you can mm-hmm. can maybe talk about some yeah. of the things you've you've worked through
1: so, um, what's really unique about about well, it's it's tough to find things that are unique about different. Oh, straightforward. Unique about the education environment mm. because universities are very much like other universities. There's uh, even in the new online environment. You know, universities are becoming like other universities in the online environment too. You know, they'll have classes that are you know online or, or they deliver on gra- on the, on the ground courses. But what I really like about what I'm doing right now at Doan is is having the impact um, to design uh, ground courses and online courses that complement one another, um, that we're looking at pathways for students coming into the graduate, because I'm just involved with the graduate business courses now, pathways into graduate programming so that students can bring in life experience so they don't have to duplicate um, their life experience that they've already had by taking a class, in and in like be I've already know this. Why am I taking a class in that? So they can can get credit for doing, you know, like like lifelong learning credit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're bringing that in, and it, what we're really looking at is being able to have students come in and get a college education for a practical price yeah you know, so they're 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 being able to do that for the right price, I and mean, because we know cost is always something that we're looking at. Um, but we're also looking at certain types of MBAs. So an MBA that might be for just a specific demographic. And I can't talk too much more about that right That's now because we're still in kind of in the uh, d- the design, but that really excites me mm-hmm. because there are certain demographics that are Needing an MBA that might be just specific to things that would be of interest to them, and and um, maybe give me in a year, and I can tell you a little <laughs> bit more about that. I can't wait um, to see because that one is of, is very exciting to me because that would be something that's unique. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know there are MBAs that are out there that are doing some of these things, but DONE is giving us an opportunity to do something that's just a little bit more. And because it is an entrepreneurial environment here, which is, um, I, I have kind of in my LinkedIn that if you can be an entrepreneurial an an educator that's entrepreneurial, that's where I like to see myself. Is that I'm a, you know, an educator. entrepreneurial educate, that's yeah, awesome. entrepreneur and an educator, bringing and I bring that um, to the edu- world of education.
0: Well. Um you know, as we kind of wrap down the episode here, I just wanted to um, maybe get you to reflect a little bit more on um, on what has impacted... Maybe, maybe a better question to ask instead of what is who. Who has been somebody that has tr- just impacted you from the be- early times of, of your adult working profession? Uh, you mentioned your father mm, previously. Definitely. But um, maybe other people that... Uh, impacted you to the point where they really f- formed uh, a philosophy about how how you approach your business, your profession, your personal, your personal life, and just how you then pass that on because I see you do it uh, with people even though I haven't had a lot of interaction. Mm-hmm. I know people around you and have had a lot of interactions with them and, and I see that you're you're impacting them as well. So maybe talk a little bit about, about those people?
1: So, Tom Mornane, the gentleman I told you about who's the captain Mm -hmm. in the um, Navy, um, he also, he had a big influence on me. He was involved in my life just a very, very short time. But he, I worked for him when I was working at Decision Dynamics and I was working for Matt's shipping company. And he used to end every meeting and he would tell me this. He'd say, so tell me what you're gonna do. And I tell them what I was going to do, and say, "Okay, now go do it." And and I thought, "Gosh, you know that is a vi- that impacted me so much because I thought that is a beautiful way to, to to have somebody hold them accountable, tell me what you're going to do, and then empower them. Yeah, go do it." And then he would say at the end of that, and you he'd, he'd say, you know, you know what I'm going to say next, because he said it one time, and he said, you know, and I want you to be the first one to tell me if, you, if something gets in the way of you getting that done. Those were like three simple statements. Mm. And I learned from that so much that, he, that that's, what, and that's how I worked with the people that worked for me. Tell me what you're going to do. I'm going to say, okay, you're empowered to go do it. Cause it and if there's anything that I you know, needed to change, we would talk about it. But when they walked out the door, I'd say, go do it. Mm. And if it, and they would know that I was there to help them, and they they had every ability to come and tell me if there anything got in the way. I wanted them to be the first one to tell me if they wouldn't be able to do it. He simple, right? Simple leadership, strong leadership, but simple ways. He impacted me so much. Um, there was another in education. There was a gentleman by the name of Doctor Dirk Barum. And he would come to class and always had simple ways of talking about thing, things, simple way of putting it down, but very deep. And I always like that simple approach for complex messages. That doesn't mean that complex is simple.
0: Yeah, that's good. Sometimes that I don't think people realize that.
1: Yeah, the com- that doesn't mean the complex is simple. It just means that there's a simple way of explaining the complex. Mm-hmm. And that was to me how I want to teach. And so I will take a design of a class and have a simple way of explaining it, but make people understand that that doesn't mean that this is simple. Mm-hmm. And so that approach I brought in my teaching, both on an online class or on a ground teaching, mm-hmm. because it doesn't, I don't want them to get out of you know, writing a paper in a way that doesn't command, you know, demand thinking, mm-hmm. or it doesn't, you know, or to, from my perspective, doesn't require me to spend time on your writing. We both have, you know, this This is complex. We're going to spend time with this. Mm-hmm. But you can say something in five words. You don't have to say it in the 35 words. So give me, give it to me in a simple and beautiful way. Mm-hmm. So, so those things, those have been very impactful, very impacting. I mean, that those those two people in my life. I would say that there's another. There's a woman who's in my life. Her name is um, Victoria Trebosh. She's been a coach. Her life has been. A, a, she she's the one who told me, you know, has been. She gives me such poignant things, but she's the one that said, you know, you know, you know when you know. Mm-hmm. And so many conversations that I've had with her have just been. You know, like, you know, it's not—it's not a dagger. It's—it's it's a plastic dagger because she can go to the heart, but it never—it never, you know, never never, penetrates. Never, <laughs> never penetrates. But she, you know, but she's—she's she's been somebody who's just, you know, changed my life mm-hmm. in so many, so many ways. And just—just, just, yeah. Uh, she's my person. Well, um, and my granddaughter, and my grandson.
0: Those are these important people yep. in our lives. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, I want to thank you for mm-hmm. taking the time just to, to visit with me and just Absolutely.
2: to,
0: you know, share some of your wisdom. Um, I think for our listeners, um, find people like Deb in your life, <laughs> find people like Deb who can, who can bring, can bring experience and practical, uh, advice and wisdom to, to your life and to what you're doing in your professional life and, or your personal life. Deb, if people want to reach out and maybe get in touch with you and find out more about you, where, where could they do that?
1: Um, at, um, seppuchdeb at gmail.
0: Sepichdeb at gmail. We'll put that in the show notes okay. if that's okay. And, uh, maybe list a little bit of, of your bio in the show notes as well. And LinkedIn as well. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can link your bio mm-hmm. from LinkedIn in the show notes as well. Um, but again, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Um, you know, if you're out there and you're really trying to understand, uh, complex challenges or complex environments, don't forget about the resources around you. Um, you know, Doan is a, is a unique local university here in Omaha and, and you should reach out to places like that around you. Um, people are always willing to, to assist and help you and just get their perspectives. Um, You've I learned great a,
1: online programs too. Yeah, so. that's true.
0: Uh, I learned a lot just, you know, chatting with you today. I appreciate it. Um, in, uh, for our next episode, I'm 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 not even sure which episode we're going to be putting up next, but I would ask you to just go to articomplexity.com and if you'd like to know a little bit more, you can subscribe to our newsletter there. Uh, if not, uh, I appreciate again, Deb, for taking the time. Um, I'm honored to be able to sit down and talk with you today,
2: uh, and we'll see you on the next episode.
1: Thank you.